Well, hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the My Love of Golf podcast, where we join you from here in Melbourne, the home of the Asia Pacific Amateur Championships. They've finished, but we've got a lot to talk about. And I've got a very special guest joining us tonight. Scott Carter jetted off this morning with uh, half of the green jackets from the Masters organization on a flight back to America. But I've got a young lady who uh, I'm particularly fond of because she's an excellent golfer. She works in the Drum and Golf Network and we've known each other for a couple of years, but it's the first time we've had it at had an opportunity to chat on a podcast. It might even be for her first time on a podcast. I can only be talking about the current Royal Melbourne women's champion, Imogen Jones. Let's bring Imogen in. Imogen Jones, welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. How are you? Good, Ross. How are you? I'm very well, very well. It was great to see you over the weekend at Royal Melbourne. And uh, it's very kind of you to agree. I think we bumped into each other on, what was it, yesterday on the back of uh, the par three. And, you know, you came up, you had a look what I was doing, filming these guys that we were with. And uh, I said, oh, you should jump on the podcast tomorrow and talk about Royal Melbourne and all this other stuff that you've been up to. And you said, yeah, okay, I'll give that a crack. And here we are. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. How was the introduction? Did I? There's so much more to talk yeah. about, but did I get everything right? Yeah, we've done Yeah, no, other. that was fine. Yeah. A couple of years, um, you know, you're yeah. part of the Drum and Golf Network, you know, you yeah. get down Perfect. there to Drum, Short, and quick. Drum and Golf Cheltenham and... And, and sell a few <laughs> golf clubs and a few Pro Vs and Callaway Chrome Softs and whatever else. And yeah. also, of course, the current and recently crowned Royal Melbourne Women's Club Championship. Congratulations on uh, the win. Uh, that was a great way for us to catch up on uh, last week, fresh off the back of your win. And then we roll into the AAC uh, where you were um, hosting some of the greatest uh, amateur male golfers in the region and you were down there, um, you know, participating. And it was great. So let's talk about the clubbies first. You know, how, well, congratulations again. Thank um, you. First, first win at Royal Melbourne in the Women's uh, Club Championship. Had a couple of close calls recently, but how was it? Talk us through uh, yeah. you know, the clubbies. It was awesome. Uh, as you mentioned, I had lost two finals uh, over the last five or so years. So it was really exciting to get my first official win uh, as a women's club champion at Royal. Um, first time on the board by myself. I've won a few uh, foursomes with my brother and then actually won the women's foursomes with Claudia, who I played um, played against in the clubbies final on Sunday. So yeah, absolutely wrapped and to be honest, still on a bit of a high, especially after uh, the week we've just had with the Asia Pacific Amateur, it's been it's been a really awesome seven days. Now, you know, in all of that time that I've known you, you know, you've been a super elite and very serious golfer. You know, like a lot of young, talented uh, athletes, you know, you have to juggle study, work, and then you know, golf, uh, grinding on the golf course and practicing and that sort of thing. How does how do you balance uh, all of that? Yeah, I mean. Uh, it's something that comes pretty naturally to me these days. I've probably been doing it since around year 10, juggling, you know, a high level of golf and my studies um, at high school. So, um, so I'm pretty okay at it now, but I really enjoy having a busy lifestyle. I think um, it's really important while I'm studying to have a break 
not only socially but um, especially exercise-wise. Um, I exercise every day, whether that's at the gym or um, playing golf or going for walks. Um, so, you know, for me, that's just a part of who I am. I like to be busy. So, um, yeah, I really enjoy it. I guess a lot of it comes down to being organised and planning, which luckily is a strength of mine. So, um, yes, it's overwhelming at times, but I think uh, I'm getting the most out of my life. When did golf start as a thing for you? How did it uh, come into your world? Yes, so I was actually talking about this today with a couple of my students that I coach. Um, I started when I was 11 years old, so 10 years ago now. Um, Dad was a really good golfer when he was younger and my brother, Sevi, had just kind of been having some lessons. So um, I was quite a good swimmer and then I unfortunately had some injuries, uh, so I stopped swimming and then wanted to keep playing some sports, so picked up the golf clubs, already had a junior set no doubt from somewhere like Drummond um, and had some lessons at MGA and then you know kind of got the bug I was playing in the women's kind of Rosanna program at Victoria Golf Club on a Sunday afternoon to get some golf practice in and then I was in the junior programs at Royal Melbourne um, and then just continued my way up through the programs and ended up staying at Royal and becoming a junior member so it's a while back now, but I uh, can't believe where the 10 years have gone. Was the junior program at Royal like a, an open program or was it only for, you know, kids of members or what was the process there? Yeah, so it was a really good program which is still run today. So uh, I was through the My Golf program. Uh, my brother, Sevi, actually went to Halebury and so he got to know a couple of, you know, Richard Hatt's son, um, Tom, and then found out about the program through them. Uh, so kind of signed myself and Sevi up into that. Uh, but it was really easy kind of to get in. Um, I think they advertise it these days pretty much to the public and you kind of just give your expression of interest. Uh, so we we went all the way from the My Golf program up into the actual development programs at Royal um, and then through to cadets and then to junior membership. So we really started right at the bottom there. It was one of the cool things that I learned on having a um, tour around the facility in the clubhouse and the new car park, by the way, which is absolutely sensational. Uh, I probably won't say worth the wait because you waited a very long time for a car park. But yeah. um, no, but Ben gave us a, a tour and some of the history of the club. You know, he did say that the club has within its charter um, this uh, responsibility to you know, grow the game and, and to do things which I guess are like this open junior program to bring in you know juniors who want to establish themselves in the game which ultimately leads for you to joining the club and then becoming you know women's club champion and multiple year you know pennant uh, representative and so on and so forth and representing the club you know absolutely wonderfully uh it's a real credit to the club to do that i think it used to be absolutely. i think it i feel like it used to be more of a thing around the Sandbelt Clubs, but um, may have with the explosion in participation of golf and the desirability of people wanting to join might have dropped off, but clearly it doesn't seem to have um, dropped off at Royal Melbourne. So, And, and finally, when I left the club uh, yesterday afternoon, there was maybe 10 or 15 young kids, you know, coming with their little mini golf clubs into the pro shop. So clearly, you know, as you said, yeah. it's still going and uh, and going with uh, its strength. So it's such a good thing um, and I wish more clubs would uh, – would do that. It's such an easy thing to do and you know, it doesn't cost yeah. anything, but the opportunity uh, is is huge. 
outside of your club championship win, what are some of the other highlights of this developing golf career that uh, that you're on? Yeah, so uh, probably the main ones that stick out uh, would be making the Victorian state team in uh, 2019 and 2020. Unfortunately, uh, we didn't get to go on the trip in 2020 due to COVID coming around. Uh, but, yeah, that was an honour to represent the state. In uh, 2019, we actually won the uh, championships for the girls that year. So, uh, yeah, it was an unreal experience playing alongside one of my best friends, Piper and uh, Keely Marks and, you know, some really high-level golfers. Uh, so that's definitely up there. Um, probably, you know, representing Royal um, for Pennant. I think I've played seven seasons now. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a really a real honour to uh, play for the cl- club and represent them. I'm actually women's uh, pennant captain at the moment. I captained last season and coming this coming season, which is a real honour as well. Um, and then probably the most recent achievement would have been qualifying or pre-qualifying for the Victorian Open. Uh, so I played that earlier this year, which uh, was to be honest, a bit of a surprise. I kind of just went into the qualifying wanting to put my name out there and give myself a, a shot and I ended up shooting one under that day and qualified tied second. So that was really awesome to debut at my first professional tournament earlier this year. I don't know if you remember seeing me uh, in the days before, but yeah. I definitely remember seeing you. And you know <laughs> what, I, what I saw was uh, that wonderful smile uh, well before I saw you because every time I see you, you've got this big, beaming, beautiful smile. And uh, I saw that you were so happy and uh, I think you were going out for a practice round and I'd just been on the range there mm. with those full swing kits. So it was yeah. uh, so good to, to hear and then to see you bumping into you and, um, you know, seeing you go, going and uh, into the tournament. Who did you play with? What was the experience like playing in a you know, professional tournament? Gosh, oh, I'm trying to remember who I played with. Um, can't remember off the top of my head who I was actually playing with. But, um, two, yeah, it was awesome. In the zone, two in the zone. Yeah, seriously, I mean, it's February now. Um, but uh, I just, yeah, it was really awesome experience. Just, you know, the simple things like having some grandstands up, having the boards up on every tee, um, you know, really being surrounded by some of the best golfers in Victoria um, and not only Victoria, Australia, and, you know, some worldwide worldwide people as well um but it was really kind of a bit surreal it all happened really quickly I think I qualified on the Monday and then the tournament started on Thursday I was working at Drummond had to get my shifts covered and it was a bit of a shambles but in the end yeah it was such a rewarding experience uh I think especially playing off the longer tees Uh, nowadays I do it a lot more often playing you know off the whites or the blues even uh but yeah just really challenging my game that week and learn a lot what, what is the uh, strength of your game you know if you had to summarize you know the best parts of your game you know where do you excel getting around the golf course yeah i'd say uh it's definitely changed a little bit over the last you know four years um probably it used to be a really consistent iron player hitting greens, hitting a lot of fairways in greens. Um, I'd still say that's quite a strong part of my game. I've definitely become a much stronger putter, uh, which has helped from a scoring point of view. Um, but I'd say just in general, I hit the ball pretty straight off the tee and 
into green so I don't tend to find too much trouble, especially when I'm on, you know, hitting hitting the greens consistently or hitting it pretty far down the fairway. So there probably isn't one standout, but when my game's on, like it's I hit the ball pretty straight, which tends to keep me out of trouble. What about your mental game? You know, we've started, uh, Jamie Glazer and I, some time ago, the Mental Mastery Golf um, podcast, which is on a bit of a rest at the moment. But, yeah, since working and talking uh, with Jamie about that sort of world, I've become super interested in it and, and certainly helped me. But I remember when I was sort of much younger and I was playing golf, like I didn't even know anything about it. I didn't think about it. What's the, the mental performance side of golf now for, you know, emerging athletes now that we know so much more about it? Yeah, it's huge these days. I actually did some work with Jamie at Royal. Uh, he was part of our women's pennant kind of pre-season, uh, which was awesome. That's probably a couple of years back, maybe before COVID. Um, but for me, it's really it's the belief. I think that's the biggest thing, um, just remembering to keep fighting while you're out there, you know, don't give up. Uh, that's often the biggest problem is, you know, you give up and then all of a sudden you make a double when you could have made a par on the next um, and it's really collecting yourself after making a mistake. Um, so for me, yeah, belief has been a big thing. I'm still and probably will forever be working on that with my golf game. But uh, that definitely just changing my attitude to the glass half full rather than glass half empty, um, which I actually have been doing a little bit of the resilience project. Um, there's a journal for that. Um, it's all about just, you know, thinking a little bit more optimistically. Um, so I definitely that helped me get the win on Sunday in the clubbies, just, you know, trusting that I can hit that shot and not thinking, oh, what if you hit it in the bunker, you know, really just thinking hit it on the green and two part, you know. Um, so for me, that's a big thing, um, which I'll continue to work on. I'd actually forgotten that uh, because, you know, Jamie before COVID actually left Victoria and, you know, escaped Victoria and moved to the Gold Coast, as you know. Yeah, right. Um, I'd forgotten he would, was working with uh, you guys uh, at uh, was, Royal Melbourne. Yeah. yeah, but he was quite a um, popular um, sought-after coach down there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's you just sort of led into it, you know, like how did that impact you on, on the weekend, um, you know, tying up that championship? But I think, you know, you've summarised it pretty well, you know, like if you don't get too caught up in what, hasn't happened yet and just focus on what you need to do you know in terms of Absolutely. sending a, sending a ball to a target and that's just send the ball to a target once and then just do right. it somewhere between 60 something and 70 something time and um exactly. hopefully it's a couple less than your opponent and then you get the job done well, which you did correct um one of the things i noticed on the weekend at the australian uh sorry australian the uh, asian asia pacific amateur championship was that um there's a couple of amateur course composite course records uh, broken. Mm, uh, Samson Zhang and uh, young Kazuma Kabori uh, both shooting 66. Uh, interestingly, and in, in, in a weird, uh, it's not weird, but in a fitting turn of events, well, definitely not weird, fitting turn of events that their names fit directly under Michael Bonalak. Now, I don't, do you know my, anything about Michael Bonalak? I don't, to be honest. Michael Bonalak broke the. Uh, amateur composite course record in 1966 and unfortunately he passed away this week he was a huge figure in uh, British golf and you know his hearse was driven across the uh, 18th and 1st um, fairways at St Andrews during the week so it's just you know one of those things that sometimes um, 
happens really, in golf and, yeah, that his yeah, record was broken. Interesting timing, hey? So um, Vale, uh, Michael Bonilak, um, but congratulations mm. to Samson and Kazuma and getting their names on the board. Now the part that I was getting to was what I loved was immediately pretty much after they'd finished there was a gentleman there putting the names on the board. Yeah. Is, is your name already up on the board? Yeah, so uh, that's definitely something that I commend Royal on. Uh, whenever there's a kind of not that uh, one board event is better than another, but when it's kind of the major board events um, occur, they get in the engraver the next day. So actually literally the next morning after playing in the afternoon on the Sunday, uh, they were there on Monday morning engraving the name into the board. So, yeah, that was really awesome um, to have my name up there literally. Monday morning I went to see it before kind of all the players were arriving for the week. And then obviously anyone that went into the clubhouse could see my name there. They actually broadcast the board um, on the live broadcasting that they were doing, which was really cool. Um, But, yeah, it was awesome to see the name up there and especially for the guys who – broke the course record, that's awesome, you know, while they're there at the tournament to see their name up in gold leaf. Uh, when I got my 1985 C-grade club championship win at yeah. uh, Cessna Golf Club, I had to wait about three weeks uh, to get the name, <laughs> the gold letters up there. You know why? Because no. the dude that did it was on holidays. He's up on the up <laughs> at the beach on holidays, so I um, had to wait. Um, Fair but, enough. Yeah, and also a hole in one too, by the way, nineteen eighty seven, oh. September the twelfth no or thirteenth. Yeah, um, <laughs> but that's 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 the heights of gold letters for me, uh, Imogen. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship at your home yeah. course. How did you feel? How do you feel when the you know this big event takes over? the whole facility, or not the whole facility, but pretty much the whole facility. Um, how do the members feel? How do you feel as a member, you know, when these, you know, because it happens a lot of times, President's Cup being yeah, 2019. Yeah. What are you, what's it like? I mean, obviously I'm wanting to play golf, but it's just one of those things where it's a sacrifice kind of for the greater cause. So um, I think it was a little bit weird finishing the clubbies on Sunday and then kind of going straight into the course being closed on the Monday. But at the same time, it was kind of nice um, to have a little break and then I think the members on the whole really enjoy having big events it's obviously uh, it's a busy week for Royal um, and you know all appropriate members of council and um, all you know head volunteers and everything I know there was a lot of members volunteering this week uh, but overall I think it's a really cool experience uh, especially for the club you know it's another way of us you know broadcasting the golf course and you know showing the world kind of the level that it can be at which I think is really awesome I mean it's an honor to be a member at the club so you know yeah it's a really cool experience certainly the vibe that I got was the members were super proud um, so many volunteering to do you know various jobs in scoring and caddying and all the other things that go on with putting a, a big golf tournament were you surprised just uh, how big the extent of the setup and how, you know, the uh, RNA and also Augusta National set mm. this up and the facilities that they put on and every, all the effort that they went to for uh, the young amateur men? Yeah, it was pretty unreal, to be honest, for an amateur tournament. Um, obviously, we had the President's Cup in 2019, so I'd seen uh, something really incredible. That event was, you know, it was, it was huge. So, uh for an amateur tournament, it was kind of had the same feel to it. Uh, I saw, you know, the 
the white picket fence going up around the green, the putting green and, you know, the boards going up during the week. We actually had everything set up on Sunday when we played in the club champs, which was really awesome. Uh, so we really got to enjoy kind of the effort they put in. But, yeah, the catering was amazing. Uh, everything was just top-notch. They even had, you know, the Rolex clock next to the practice putting green with the flowers, which was I thought was a really nice touch. So, yeah. Oh, it was, it was, it was big time. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to you know, be part of, uh, you know, get access to the media center and see all of that. Yeah. And, um, you know, and there were some big names out here, you know, when Amanda Renner, Colt Nost, Rich Lerner, um, when they're down here commentating it for the a global audience, you know, you know that it's a big deal. And um, for me, you know, Again, you know, I didn't go in there expecting too much. I was just, yep, okay, this week I've got to turn up there and do this, that and the other. But when you see those guys turn up and when you see Fred Ridley and when you see yeah. all the RNA people, you know, there and, you know, it was a big deal for them. And um, the thing that I loved about the tournament, well, many things, but one of the things that I love is that, you know, they're, they're going to – they expect to see – some top-notch world-class amateurs, you know, win and fight for the title, which is what we saw. But they know that some of the representatives of the country who have qualified, you know, may not necessarily, you know, propel themselves into, you know, global world golf domination or – but at least they've given them the opportunity to see what a big tournament's like and it might help them onto the next level of their, their career but certainly puts their countries on the map, you know, the Cook Islands. You know, there's only 15,000 mm. people in the Cook Islands. We were talking to one of the Cook Island golfers and – uh, he said that he was scared to take a divot off the fairway mm. because the fairways were 10 times better than their greens. You know, mm. And then he said, when we want to practice on fast, fast putting on fast greens to get ready for this, you know, we've got to go out and find some, you know, like um, hard surface, like a bit of flooring or something like that to, to yeah. go and practice because they just can't practice any other way. It was so yeah. amazing to see, you know, such a diverse range of, golf golfers and golf nations mm. um, being represented um, absolutely now you had a special job uh, you, you were one of the walking scorers on on the Sunday what was that like correct yeah it was really awesome uh, so I did it on the Thursday which was you know a bit of a practice run for the, uh, for the Sunday uh, but lucky enough to get the fourth last group who had uh, Jeff Guan, one of the Australians in. So that was really cool for me, obviously, to see one of the Aussie boys play. Um, and Marcus Lynn also had an awesome round, uh, had about one over, finished tied sixth. Oh, sorry, tied seventh, I believe. And um, Jeff ended up finishing ninth. So, yeah, it was really, really cool to see them play the golf course. You know, some of their shots they were playing, I'd never even thought about playing before, obviously different tees but it's cool to see how they shape the ball and how their minds just kind of imagine these shots out of nowhere so yeah it was a real honor to have one of the groups at the end there jeffrey guan is an interesting golfer he's a quiet young man gets about his business hell of a golfer can play any type any type of shot is there something that you saw jeffrey doing that you were just absolutely you know blown away by yeah, um, his putter was hot on Sunday. My gosh, there was, I think, four holes in in about the middle patch of the round where he just made up and down each hole. He, unfortunately, he was hitting a few, uh, a couple of tee shots out of play, so he had to kind of knock it down uh, or, you know, just get to the green. So he made some unreal up and downs, uh, but that was mainly him 
draining putts anywhere between eight foot to 25 foot. So that was really, really impressive. And it was good to see so many of the Australians perform well. Majority of them played the whole weekend. Uh, it was great to see them behind the green when, of course, an Australian one, Jasper Stubbs. Uh, I was right by them there filming, and uh, it was it was sensational. They were so happy. Now, you and I both have a bit of a connection with the winner, Jasper Stubbs, and congratulations, Jasper. Uh, he's not a Royal Melbourne member. Um, his sister Piper is, uh, who you know very very well. Uh, but Jasper's a Peninsula Kingswood member, uh, which. Uh, for several of the members that were there watching, uh, standing with them, they're all very proud. Um, you know, I think it's one of the first sort of, well, other than Dave Michaluzzi, but, um, you know, first big amateur wins that we've had as a, you know, the reformed Peninsula Kingswood club. And, uh, yeah, we love Jasper down there. You know, he gets about his business and he gets out and plays and practices down there. And he, and it's good to see, you know, people like Jasper propel themselves and to get an unbelievable life-changing reward. Can you imagine? Could, did you did you ever stop and think he's just won a ticket to the Masters and to the Open? You know, like what that must be like. Yeah, pretty much for about twenty minutes afterwards. You know, watching him get presented with the trophy and kind of the aftermath of he was getting photos with about twenty different groups of people. I was just, you know, in my head, I was thinking, you know, he's going to the Masters. I mean. I seriously couldn't get my head around it. I was like pinching myself like that is just unreal. I think, you know, Jasper winning was just such an awesome result because, you know, he is a member at Peninsula Kingswood, as you mentioned, and um, a lot of the guys I've grown up playing with at Royal, um, but in junior tournaments, including growing up playing with Jasper and his sister, um, you know, they were all there watching on Sunday. So I think it really hit home and, uh, showed a lot of the golfers there that, you know, dreams do come true and you really, if you work hard, you know, these opportunities do arise. But, yeah, no doubt, I mean, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This is going to, you know, change his life hopefully. So, yeah, it's awesome. It was just so cool to kind of witness it live there right next to the 18th green. Now, I mentioned there, you know, I'm not making any claims. I I don't know Jasper that well, um, but well enough to – say good day, sit down, have a, you know, a um, sugar-free Coke or whatever it is that uh, I drink and whatever he drinks. But, um, you know, I have been, you know, I guess in contact with him when more so when they first started coming up from Bansdale and he talked about that in his speech in the uh, media centre, how he lived just two kilometres away but, you know, his early formative years of golf were um, driving up from Bansdale coming up to the city. Is that around the time when you got to know the Stubbs family? Yeah, correct. So uh, I believe they were they just moved from Bansdale when I met them. Uh, met Piper when I was twelve. Uh, we've been pretty much best friends since. So uh, they were living out in Roval. Uh, they both went to the Roval uh, Academy of Golf there. Um, but then they made the well, the parents made the decision to move them, you know, closer to the Bayside sort of area around the Sandbelt courses for their careers. Um, and yeah, that's no doubt, uh, what their parents, Pete and Fiona have done for them. You know, they, Jasper wouldn't have been there on Sunday without them. So yeah, now they live two kilometers away, but before then there's been a lot of moving around. So yeah, it's awesome. Now the world knows very clearly who Jasper Stubbs is now, but not as much so, uh, Piper Stubbs. Now Piper is a very talented young, uh, women golfer. 
tell us about tell us about uh, Piper and you know her career progression and what she's doing now. Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, Piper's one of my closest girlfriends. Uh, she went over. Well, she actually beat me in the women's club championships at Royal Melbourne in 2020, uh, and then she left to go study a college in America in that well that August in 2020. So she's been there ever since. So she's studying at South Dakota State. Um, loving it over there from what I can tell. Uh, hopefully she's coming back this Christmas, but I'm not getting my hopes up yet. But, yeah, she's she's killing it over there, really enjoying the experience, soaking it up. Um, it's such a different world over there from what I can gather, you know, the tournaments and everything is just such a different feel. So it's awesome for her to be over there and getting that experience and getting her name out, you know, on a more global stage. Am I right in reading, not reading, but, you know, what I remember, did Jasper sort of bloom as a golfer a little bit later than Piper? Was Piper sort of showing that talent and then Jasper was sort of coming through? Is that fair enough to say? What was the story there? From from memory, Piper was really, uh, she kind of blossomed a lot at age kind of 14 to 15 and then Jasper kind of came in a little bit at like 16 to 17, I think it was-ish. And then Piper, you know, kind of kicked in again and it was a yeah, constant kind of battle between the two of them. But I think they've both progressed nicely since been playing. So so have, yeah. you, have you witnessed that sort of interfamily camaraderie slash um, yeah, competitiveness? Sure. Yeah, and with their older brother Fletcher as well. Uh, he was a really good golfer when he was playing junior events as well. Doesn't play as much these days but can still pick up the club nicely. Um but, yeah, there's definitely the two of them have supported each other. I know Piper was uh, – she was sad she wasn't there on Sunday, but I was talking to her, texting her and sending videos to her as he was putting. So, yeah. Unbelievable. So, you know, what do you remember of Jasper as a, as a young golfer? You know, was he – did he – was he getting up to no good? How, how was he around the uh, traps? <laughs> yeah, was- I mean – I played a lot more with Piper, obviously, but, you know, he was kind of always there. He made a bunch of state teams, um, but was always kind of progressing nicely. Uh, I think he had a couple of junior wins and then uh, made the men's state team um, as well. So it's kind of been a steady uh, progression. And then he's been in the VIS as well now for a couple of years, which has really helped. Well, he certainly bolstered the ranks down at PK in terms of uh, pennant squads and, uh, you know, yeah. I, went, I went out and followed them around one of the finals there down there and, uh, you know, that's when I probably first bumped into his dad again and, you know, said day and we remembered it. So it's good. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing him play at the Open this year. I'll, I'll be there. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to that and uh, it was just an awesome – it was just an awesome event and an awesome – you know, week of golf, you know, it was clutch, you know, that putt. Where were you when he when he um, sunk that putt was, to birdie the first playoff hole? I was actually kind of right next on the pin side. So uh, the opposite end of the green to where you were. Uh, so if you were kind of <laughs> uh, facing the green bottom right, so really tucked in, I got a couple of really good videos of the, two parts, uh, the Jasper, um, hold on the first playoff hole and then hit to about a foot on the second playoff hole. So, yeah, we got really good fuzzies there to watch the last hole. If you had that same putt 
how would you feel? Like, oh, incredibly nervous. I think though. Just describe. Describe the part. Just just describe what he. it's a pretty crazy part. I mean, it breaks uh, quite a lot left to right. It's a downhill sloping putt. So it's pretty much a classic putt at Royal uh, where you've got to hit it much higher than you think and a lot softer than you think. But it's this tricky balance between hitting it enough to get it starting on your right line. But also there's kind of a ridge about five feet on past the hole on that angle so if you're just running too far past you know you're in danger of potentially going over the ridge and therefore you know down the green and potentially 30 foot away so yeah it's uh it's an incredibly hard part so he did very well and just to put it into perspective on the second part so the long one which was 80 feet or 60 feet or it, was, it was a lot of footage of part it broke as you said 20 feet left to right, you know, basically hit it Yeah, almost 90 so degree, degrees left. Where he was on the second uh, playoff hole was definitely a harder putt. Uh, I reckon it's about 50, 60 foot from the back of the green there to pretty much the front of where the pin was. Uh, and you've got this huge hill sitting up on that left side and you've got a bunker kind of just creeping in. So you don't want to send it too far off, otherwise you're in danger of the bunker. But, yeah, the touch he had there, I mean, you could hit that part 10 times and probably not knock it as close as he did. Same with the part he had on the first playoff hole. I mean, you might only hold out one out of 10 times. Like the difficulty is, yeah, through the through the roof for both those parts. So, I can't remember if – or I don't know if Jamie Glazer, when he was working with uh, your pennant team, talked about the, the mental filing cabinet and putting pictures of the great shots into your head so you can recall them. I think it's fairly obvious that you're going to put that putt inside your mental filing cabinet. But more so for mm. me, you know, where that ball ended up, that's exactly like basically two metres away from where his parents were standing, the Aussie team was standing, his mates from PK and his other mates from, you know, various um, you know golf connections. They're all standing there watching him. That yeah. must have been absolutely insane Pressure, I, it must have been insane. To be, I, don't, I don't know. I can't describe it. Of course, I'm never going to yeah. be able to feel it, but can you, I mean, can I, you imagine it? I guess it depends how you look at it. Uh, he kind of touched on it in his speech afterwards, but I think he was just so in the zone as you would be, you know, when you're in contention, you know, you're just locked in. You're on kind of a different planet to everyone else. So I think having, you know, the Aussie boys, his family and a couple of his other friends, you know, right there behind him, I think it probably would have done the opposite of pressure. It probably would have been this tremendous, you know, wave of support and love that he felt. And, you know, he was probably thinking, you know, I can do this kind of thing. Um, So I think how it ended up really was pretty magical um, having, you know, his support team basically behind him as he hit that part. So I was there all day Saturday and the wind was horrendous. It was 50, 60 kilometre hour winds and the quality of shots that I saw played were unbelievable. I didn't, I saw plenty of shots that were not that great but the majority of shots that I saw and I remember I followed Jasper for the first couple of holes and hadn't basically hit a green, you know, like he made like three or four up and downs in that front nine just to save par and I think that 
you know, if I was reflecting on that round and how that transported into the weekend, you know, that round where he just saved those clutch pars probably gave him a whole heap of confidence in that playoff because, you know, in those conditions to make those pars up and downs, you know, like uh, the par three up the hill. I, my, I, the, the composite numbers and the east-west numbers just Seven confuse. West? Seven west. Was like it he, the third hole? Uh, the third hole, yeah. tournament, yeah. yeah. So his left bunker... The pin was sort of short and he just makes this clutch up and down and it was just awesome to see. And the ball the ball just hit the green and just bounced like a tennis ball. It was like pong. Um, let's talk about the, the course. You know, like a lot of people, you know, especially international guests and a lot of people who listen to golf around the world, you know, they, they, they don't understand this firm and fast. You know, it's a, it's a phrase and we get it, but how firm and fast, you know, do you, do you think it was out there on the weekend? Yeah, this week, uh, you know, starting from the Sunday before, you know, he was starting to quicken up, probably not as firm. But then, you know, first day, first round on the Thursday was definitely getting pretty firm. But, yeah, on the weekend, different level. I mean, as expected at Royal, uh, I mean, obviously I played it before, so I understand the level that it can get to. But especially for a lot of these players who – some of them hadn't even been to Australia before. Some of them had never played a standout course before and then let alone then come into Royal when it's at peak condition, you know. Some of these players, I remember, they were saying, you know, the ball was bouncing over your head, that kind of high. So, you know, um, you've got to – it's not a matter of flying it to the pin. You've got to work out targets, you know. You've got to work out, right, the front of the green is here. How far over the front of the green have I got to land it? is it going to stay on the back of the green? Which, you know, as Royal members, we all know that. But uh, this week I hadn't seen it quite like that probably since the President's Cup in 2019. Hadn't seen it that firm and fast since then, I reckon. Now the composite course has several different um, routings that it can take. Uh, We had the 18 East as the closing hole. If uh, you know the President's Cup routing, that's 16 so obviously because there's some matches that finished on 16 in, in match play. but So I had a different routing. You know, do you, what's your favourite hole in that composite layout? Yeah, so as you said, this was a new composite entirely actually for the Asia Pacific this year. So I played it for the first time on Sunday, which was really cool. Um, so probably, oh, wow, there's a lot of good holes. I'm really glad that they included 16 East, which was the 16th hole. Uh, sometimes they toss it up between four east and 16 east because they're right next to each other and they're both par threes. Uh, but I think 16 is just such a good test of golf, you know, especially with how the wind was blowing on the weekend and, you know, how firm the greens were. It really required an awesome shot into the green. Uh, so 16's got to be up there for sure. Uh, but I loved seeing the 10th which was four west off the very, very back tees. Uh, you kind of, it's par five, one of the one of the two par fives up and over the hill and then dog leg to the right. Uh, really challenging tee shot with those pots right in the middle. I mean, probably not for most of the guys. They probably just bombed it straight over the dry, over the bunkers. But yesterday when I was playing in the sponsors day, gosh, I struggled off the back tees. Uh, and then also... The 18th hole playing from literally the back corner of the property 
uh, yeah, it was pretty. I reckon those three holes definitely were a standout, especially in kind of the final back nine as well. Was the 18th tee down near the back fence, was that a new tee for the President's Cup that they put in? Down? It was, yeah. correct, yeah. So uh, we that was the first time I'd ever hit off that yesterday. Uh, pretty scary stuff, I must say. I realised, you know, how impressive those two drives were that the guys hit in the playoff holes to get it all the way down to the corner uh, with a bit of wind into on the day. That was, yeah, definitely very impressed after playing it yesterday. Uh, well, that's some great insights there. Certainly the, the 16th par three, you know, that stood out for me. Um, I don't know sure what hole number it was, but the President's Cup, you know, like you remember standing there watching, pin at the back, and that's for me, not the first time I saw Tiger, but everyone was landing the ball short and it was sort of bouncing up and then Tiger just hit it very close and just stopped pretty close in the um, in the uh, early part of the tournament. So that one mm. sticks out as a, as a memory for me. It was uh, the 14th hole in the President's Cup. It was the 14th. See, see, yeah. I just mustn't have a head yeah. for numbers like that. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. <laughs> like literally Solly was saying, right, can you go up to there? And, uh, so, and I was like... Almost counting on my fingers going. I struggled with this new routing this week. The President's Cup one's pretty similar to the traditional uh, composite layout that we know as members. So that's why it was pretty easy to remember. They just changed the starting hole uh, to the third uh, west instead of the first west. So therefore the 18th was the second because they wanted to put this huge grandstand up at the back, which they did. Um, I mentioned Solly there. That's a second name drop. You know, I mentioned that, you know, knew Jasper when he used to come up from the country. You know, great. Solly uh, mentioned, uh, thanks for the couple of people that sent me some messages today after listening to the No Laying Up podcast where the two gents, uh, Solly and Ben, were kind enough to give me a, a little bit of a mention for helping them out during the week, which was an absolute uh, privilege and a pleasure. Uh, the reason why I thought about mentioning Solly is because his his knowledge is savant-like you know not only for golf um, his ability to ask questions his ability to engage with people you, you know if you've listened to their podcasts over the years like many of us have you know he, he is a standout as a as a terms of a, a golf um knowledge you know a knowledgeable golf person but his ability to know exactly where each hole was and to go he'd tell me you know three west you know, one tournament or whatever it was, whatever the numbers were, you know, he'd just go bang, bang and, and rattle it off and it was savant-like. It was insane. Uh, it was a lot of fun hanging out with those guys. You got to see them playing their match uh, yesterday. That's where you came over and I was out there helping them video it. Um, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Oh, they're awesome guys. actually met them on Thursday um, when I was walker scoring and then watching some of the other golf and then had the pleasure of catching up with them a bit yesterday, but they're, yeah, awesome guys. So it was cool to see them out there. Well, they certainly gave uh, the Asia-Pacific Amateur Championship and Royal Melbourne a huge wrap in today's um, podcast, which they recorded yesterday morning. So uh, if you if you really want to get a professional uh, podcaster's uh, insights <laughs> into what the tournament was all, all about, uh, go and listen to that. And, um, yeah, it was very nice to be able to um, get a little mention uh, in there and hopefully uh, some of the camera stuff uh, turns out in something uh, we'll see uh very good Absolutely. very good imogen it's been fantastic uh rattling off uh all of your experiences as royal melbourne women's club champion for 2023 
Let's talk about some other golf that's going on around the world. I didn't get to see a lot of the golf and I don't think you did because we were pretty much um, tied up. There was a couple of other tournaments uh, on, this is what we talk about in the weekly podcast because Scott's in America, you know, doing big, um, you know, running shoe business. Uh, The Qatar Masters. I I didn't see any of the DP World Tour. I'm usually the guy that stays up late and watches the DP World Tour. Scott does the early shift and gets watches the PGA Tour and then somehow it works when we chit-chat about it. Um, I didn't see any of the Qatar Masters. Sammy Valamaki won that. Do you know much about Sammy Valamaki from Finland? I don't, know. I'm a big fan of the DP World Tour, but I was the same, didn't watch the last event, unfortunately. Well, Sammy Valamaki, is, uh, I think he's from Finland, uh, he won the playoff uh, over uh, Jorge Campillo. Yeah, how many holes was the playoff? Uh, I think it was one hole and uh, Sammy had a four and uh, Jorge had a five. Now, Jorge's a friend of the podcast, never been on it, but we certainly played golf with him. Everyone knows that I love to call Jorge Campillo George. We didn't get him across the line on the weekend for his second win like we did a couple of years ago for his first win after 20 years. Uh, George, stick with it, buddy. Um, yeah, that second win will come. No, he's had no, he's had second wins. He's had plenty of wins since then, but he uh, didn't win this one on the weekend. Uh, Scott Jamison, always love seeing Scott Jamison's name up there. You know why? Scott Jamison's a very good friend of mine. Not the Scott Jamison, the golfer, but Scott Jamison, the Melbourne City uh, football coach. And uh, a lot of people tweet uh, Scott Jamison. They get the Scott Jamisons mixed up. So. Um, Good on you, Scott Jamison, a good Scotsman. And I didn't see much else. Uh, the gents, they've got uh, they've got the weekend off in the DP World Tour. They go to the Ned Bank at the Gary Player course in South Africa. So Scott and I will talk about that. Uh, there was a LPGA Tour uh, event in Malaysia, the May Bank. It was. And uh, who won that? Who won that, Amy? This was the nine-hole playoff, wasn't it? Nine-hole playoff. It was... Uh, Salim Boutier, did, did no you, yeah. you you didn't play in the Vic Open when Salim Boutier that was a couple of years after wasn't it? No, yes, I wasn't playing in the same one as her unfortunately. Uh, and uh, the young lady uh, Titical, what's uh, Titical's first name? Starts with A. Name just escapes me. Anyway, they had a nine-hole playoff. I don't. Know, when did a nine-hole playoff become a thing? First, I've heard of it. Not very common at all. Often it's, you know, straight back to the 18th free play and then keep going. Keep going. Uh, yeah. Well, also on the, uh, well, it's not the LET, but the LET access. Um, no, let's go back to the Maybank. You know, one of your other golf friends um, played. Did You would have played a little bit around uh, Janeth Wong in your time, would you not? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Janeth and I are good friends. She's also over in the US at Pepperdine. Uh, she's have playing some great golf as usual, uh, but yeah, grew up playing several years of golf of junior golf with her uh, before she went over to the US. So it's great to see her continuing to succeed over in uh, in the US. But she was always dominating over here, so no surprises. Uh, describe Janice golf. Yeah, well, I'm a big fan of Janice. Uh, played with her <laughs> most recently before she went to college at Peninsula Kingswood with one of her friends who's a member yeah. and uh, I took one of my friends who's a professional athlete in soccer. There's two spots on the timesheet. Um, they were empty. I said, we're going to play and, we, and I'm not telling you who we're playing with. You won't know a name, 
but I'm just going to let you watch and, and see how you feel about it. And this fellow who, you know, plays as an athlete, as a pro, he was just blown away. What was great about it was they got together and they were talking about the different skills about, you know, one being a professional paid athlete and Janice's desire to be a professional paid athlete, albeit in different disciplines. And it was nice to see them just, I just let them walk down the fairway and have their have their chat. It was great. But if, if you had to describe Janice Wong's, Golf, how would you say, uh, how would you describe it? What does she do that's unbelievable? Uh, well, there's a lot of things. I mean, she, the best way to describe it probably is she's kind of like a robot. I mean, she just she just gets up to the ball while she's behind the ball, lines up, knows what she needs to hit, and she just hits it. It's honestly like every tee looks like she's hitting the exact same shot, exact same swing, just rinse and repeat all day long. She does the same on the fairway, and then she has an unreal short game as well. So, I mean, pretty hard to beat when you're pretty much hitting the same shots uh, straight off the tee and into greens, knocking it real close. And if she's missing, she's making up and down pretty much every time. Nightmare of a person to play in uh, match play, that's for sure. I could imagine. (laughs) I could could imagine because you don't – she doesn't say too much. She's fairly quiet and uh, I could imagine that – she would be very, very tough to play against and uh, and compete alongside, and you know, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't imagine it. What I remember is her hitting, you know, me having like a wedge or an eight iron in, and her having like a full hybrid, and me, you know, just getting it onto the edge of the green somewhere thirty feet, and her hitting a full hybrid into about five feet and just draining the putt, and that's pretty much yep. how it ran. Unreal, all day, every day, same yeah. thing. Yeah, well, it was good to see uh, Janith, you know, play all four rounds there and, and score pretty well and get that invite into uh, the Maybank, obviously Malaysia. She, she, I don't know how long, if Janith, um, how long, she, how old she was, sorry, when she came to Australia, when the family came here. I don't know much about that, but she does I represent Malaysia. The exact date, but yeah, it, she would have been maybe eight. It's a while now. Yeah. I know her dad pretty well, Kenneth. Um, he'd always be on the bag when we were playing junior events. Uh, but yeah, she is still, uh, representing Malaysia instead of Australia. That's why she didn't play in any of the state teams. Um, now when we were playing last and I watched the short game, she had this chipping action, which just stuck out to me. I was like in awe of this chipping action, just the way that she got the, the bounce under the ball. And, uh, I thought, wow, what I'd do to be able to chip like that. But she had, she was doing a couple of things which I thought looked a little int- interesting. And uh, I asked Kenneth, oh, who, who, who taught um, Janith, you know, her short game? Where did she learn, you know, these great skills? And she'd, she's only ever been coached by Kenneth, who's not a golf pro. Correct. That's, yeah. I, I just found that amazing. Yeah, Kenneth has a an unreal understanding of the game. The two of them work really well together. But yeah, he's always he's incredibly committed. Um, and she, yeah, she definitely wouldn't be where she is today without him. But uh, they make a really good pair. So I'm so I'm sure she's missing him or he is missing her with her over in the US. But yeah, pretty impressive stuff. Now the LET access uh, graduates were named on the weekend. Um, is LET access is that something on the radar for you? Is you know where professional golf is that going to happen I probably haven't looked too much into it at the moment I'm focusing on my degree uh, and just enjoying you know playing at Royal over summer and playing in some events when I get the chance but yeah I'll be looking forward to playing a bit of golf this summer and hopefully playing 
pretty okay in some events is the plan. Um, but I guess you never know what's going to happen in the future. So I'm, I'm going to say it could happen, but I uh, don't know. In the introduction, I said I know you through uh, also your drummer golf connection, which yes, which is. credit to you when you know you've stuck at it. You know, I'm sure there's been times then when you know you haven't wanted to go and work. You know, the the random casual shifts. I don't know. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but you know, this casual work. You know, the casual op- employment opportunities you use on the weekends. You like to play golf on the weekends. There's always stuff in and around getting in and balancing that work and golf. But you, you stick with it. You, you must enjoy it. Yeah, I do. Um, coming up on just about three years at working at Drum and Golf Cheltenham Store. Uh, we've got a pretty awesome team there uh, run by Nick Brown. Uh, but, yeah, over the last three years it's been pretty enjoyable. I mean, when you're working kind of in the golf industry where that's my passion, then, you know, it already doesn't feel quite like you know your regular job so luckily I am a casual with studying full-time at uni as well so I really do enjoy working there we get some awesome you know people who come in some first-time beginner golfers a lot of women's beginner golfers so for me that's really awesome to help them out give them a club fitting get them you know their first set of golf clubs to start with uh it's pretty cool being part of that experience with someone and they might potentially then you know, stick out golf for the next 20 years or so. Um, so, yeah, it's a great casual job to have. It's right around the corner from Royal, so pretty easy to get quick nine holes in after work with some of the boys. Uh, but it's also a really competitive kind of workplace. We're all comparing handicaps and asking how you went on the weekend and how you went at pennant. So sometimes we have, uh, not for me, uh, but the boys are playing each other in pennant, uh, playing for different golf or different different clubs so yeah it's awesome what um you know what's your favorite thing about helping people discover golf i can imagine there's been a lot of people come through that store it's one of the biggest ones in australia that um you know what have you noticed in in that three years in terms of the you know makeup of the type of people that you're serving i think probably one of the most rewarding things is and you know you really see it when you work at uh a retail shop which is you know a golf shop but it's not a pro shop so you're getting all these uh, golfers who are not members at a golf club and therefore they come and see you to be fitted for new clubs or they come and get all their gear from you so you really see a whole range of people coming in you have you know anyone from the age of eight coming in with their grandparents to get some clubs or anyone you know up to the age of 90 you really don't know who you're going to get. Uh, you've got people who've just started the game. You've got some really good golfers. You've got middle of the range. So I think it's one of the most exciting and challenging things about the, about the job is you're constantly trying to uh, answer questions and understand where this person's at, what their needs are. Um, but it's definitely something I enjoy about the job. I'm constantly learning even after almost the three years of working uh, at drum and golf I'm constantly learning things and especially with the new equipment coming in every year you're constantly getting access to that as well which is pretty cool some demo nights when the reps come in trying out the brand new stuff before a lot of the other people so yeah it's pretty awesome as a game why would you recommend golf for women we've seen a lot more women take up the game but you know there's still plenty yeah, of opportunities have. for women to play golf what are the reasons why you believe 
golf is a great game for women to take up? Yeah, there'd be a few reasons. I think one of the most common ones is uh, their husband plays golf and they want to get into it themselves. I think, you know, if your significant other or one of your close friends plays, it's a great opportunity to just go and socialize. I think that's the biggest thing, especially um, for women, you know, just it's kind of, it's an outdoor activity. You're getting some exercise in, you're getting some fresh air. And if you go play with some friends, you know, you're having a laugh, hopefully having a good catch up, you know, if you're playing 18 holes, you know, you're at least out there for four hours. If you're playing nine holes, You've got two-hour catch-up with some of your friends and you get get to see some pretty awesome places. I mean, from there's some beautiful golf courses, especially uh, in the Sandbelt area, uh, but, you know, around Australia and around the world, you know, it's pretty cool. Sometimes I have to pinch myself and kind of just stand there for a second, look around and, you know, look at the beautiful grass and the birds flying around and the trees and everything. So, you know, I think women's golf is only going to continue to progress and I hope it does. Uh, we're already seeing a huge increase over the past few years. So yeah, it's a great opportunity to just meet new people, network, socialize and just go have some fun. Put Royal Melbourne aside for a second as mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that it's your favorite golf course. <laughs> What's the next favorite set of golf courses either in Australia or around the world that you've seen or played at? Yeah, look, I I am a major fan of Peninsula Kingswood and what they've done there. Uh, I played the North and South like both for different reasons, so that's definitely up there after Royal. I played quite a bit interstate, fortunately. I played St Michael's uh, earlier in the year in Sydney. That was really awesome at the Australian Amateur. Um, Some ripping courses up there. Um, fortunately, I haven't had the opportunity to play overseas yet. Uh, hopefully next year there'll be a couple of golf trips coming in, I think, over the next few years, but really hoping to get over to St Andrews at some point to go play the old course over there would be the dream. So, yeah, lots of golf to come, hopefully. Well, it's uh, totally possible to make that dream come true at St Andrews because you know anyone can play. It's a public course. Uh, it's not the easiest course to sometimes get access to, but um, you know if you want to get a ticket, go in the ballot, all that sort of thing. And if you're around for a couple of days, you know you usually can get on and uh, and play. You know the world's greatest public golf course, I believe. So um, for sure. but, but the the beauty is not only to get St Andrews. There's in that little. Just in that little part of Scotland alone, there are 10 other great golf courses and Eight. you would be absolutely blown away. Yeah. And and then down south in England, I'm still yet to experience any golf uh, south of the border in England. Uh, I've got some friends over there that are just busting to say, look, when you come next, <laughs> we're, we're going to play down there. We're not going to play up here. We're going to play down there. So um, go and do all of that and you've surely you've got some great reciprocal memberships uh yeah i was gonna say there's some you know all around that area i've got family in europe so same again hopefully go see them and then get some golf in on the way but yeah there's a few reciprocals definitely one day the plan is to try and tick off every reciprocal i've got a long way to go but that's definitely one of the goals for me so how about you what's your favorite golf course good question uh I have to answer that with two. I've answered this a couple of times, but uh, outside of Peninsula Kingswood uh, in Australia, I, I love Royal Melbourne and, you know, it's it's hard not to say that that's your favourite. You know, it deserves its place in the world top ten 
I've been lucky enough to play one version of the composite a long time ago now, but I just loved it. But uh, I'm probably a big Kingston Heath fan. I love Kingston mm-hmm. Heath. I love every opportunity that uh, maybe once or twice a year to get to play at, at Kingston Heath. Um, but you could really toss a coin. I, I, I like some of the holes and in, in, in the layout and if, if KH, I like some of those holes there. But, you know, what reminded me over the weekend, you know, walking around the composite course, I think that Royal Melbourne West and that paddock, you know, really does offer you that rise and fall and the difference in the terrain. And, and you don't get that in, I think, any of the other sandbelt courses. And I think that adds just, you know, that extra dimension of um, beauty and challenge and, and just vibe to, to Royal Melbourne. And I think the only, and you mentioned it, I think the only other place in, you know, some people say potentially Kingswood not sandbelt. We call it a sandbelt course as members, mm. but, you know, I think a lot of the traditional sandbelt, you know, people, Bo Morris, Oakley and around there sort of pushed PK to the side because it's not true sandbelt. But, um, I think PK, it's definitely deemed as a sandbelt course. Well, thank you very much. And, <laughs> you know, you can come back any time. Uh, but, but it's, <laughs> it is it's, in the sandbelt invitational. So. Co- correct. Um, and it's in that group and it definitely is on sand substrate and that's the that's to me you know the sand belt is not just a, a region it's it's what's underneath the ground and it's Absolutely. sand it's sand down there i know that because i'm in it all the time um <laughs> but it's pk north is it is like got the most rise and fall out of any of those courses so for me royal melbourne that's why i like it but King, kingston heath I, I, I just i just love going to that place i don't know what it is um outside yeah, it's of, pretty cool hey it is uh, outside of australia there's two two destinations that you could Pop me on either of them tomorrow, and I'd be really happy. Not ever coming home. Uh, one is Macrahanish uh, in Scotland. Um, you should try and get there. It's miles away mm. from anything, but it's really beautiful. And um, uh, La Hinch in Ireland, same thing. Miles away from anywhere. Really beautiful. They've got a beach there with um, which is popular for surfing, which is just sounds a bit weird for Aussies, you know, on that part of the world, but it's very popular for surfing. I think it's got the Guinness Book record for the longest wave ever surfed and this amazing old Tom Morris original design uh, golf course there, which has been influenced by McKenzie. I think you get access to it as a part of the the, the McKenzie sort of circuit of courses uh, that that great man left uh, his legacy. Obviously your course is one of those. So we could talk all day about golf courses. I know. Im- we're pretty lucky, hey? Imogen, I really want to thank you for um, tapping me on the shoulder yesterday, saying day, and then when I turned around while I was holding a camera pointing at two of the world's greatest professional podcasters getting paid for what they're doing, and I look over and there you are, and I said, you should come on the podcast tomorrow. And you go, yeah, okay, give us a shout. And um, here we are. So I love it and thank you very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. No yep. worries. Thanks for having me. Imogen, thanks very much. And uh, I'll either see you at RMPK or Drum and Golf. I'll find you one of those destinations. Sounds good. I, I can't wait to bump into you again and your big beaming smile, which I always uh, love seeing. Everyone else, thanks for tuning in to the My Love of Golf podcast. If you like this, like, share, subscribe, share Imogen's work. It's the first time ever on a podcast. She's done one for her university studies. But uh, again, we bring someone to the world of podcasting for the very first time. So go and check out Imogen. You're on Instagram and all that sort of thing. We'll find you. We'll put that in the show notes there and uh, and give her a follow and um, follow her golf journey. The current Royal Melbourne Women's Club Champion for 2023. Well done. We'll see you next week on the My Love of Golf podcast. See you, Imogen. See ya.